Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And my name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening. My beautiful co-host, Penelope, is on with us tonight. We're so glad to have her back. Thank you, Kim. Glad you're glad to be back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we don't have a guest tonight, so but it looks like we have some people that are filling up the panel. So I know we have one that wants to talk specifically, so it'll be fun. <laughs> but tonight we are on stand number 3228, and it is 71923. And um, we, first we've got to get into all of the logistics, and then we'll go into who wants to talk. So we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we're on scan number 3228, and we'd love for you to call in and be a part of our panel. We've got a couple of people on here, and we've got a growing panel coming. So we're excited, but we can always have more voices. It's always nice fun to have more people on. So that guest call-in number is 646-595-2118. And um, my co-host, Penelope, will meet you on the back line, and ask you if you have any questions, or we may just even bring you on tonight. We'll just see how it all goes if you have a question. But um, if you want to access any of our past shows or access this one in the future, um, you just go over to nasca.org. That's N-A-A-S-C-A. 
and search for the scan number that I just said, like 3228 is tonight. And um, you can bring up whatever whatever number. We've got 3,228 3, episodes on there. So there's lots to choose from. <laughs> but tonight we have several people on. So Bob Eden is joining us again this evening, and we always enjoy having Bob on with us. And then we also have Philip on again with us. So we always enjoy having Philip on with us as well. So should we just bring Bob on and let him start telling us what he's going to talk about? Hello, Bob. Yeah. Good evening. Good day. Good day. Good day. Yeah, it's um, just after 10 a.m. here. Um, another beautiful day in paradise. Yeah, and what I would like mm. to talk about today is... Um, my 10-step program, the, the steps I went through to, to get from trauma and despair to contentment. But I, I would also like it to be interactive. Um, and so what I'd like to do is like go through step one and then we'll have a little chat about it. But, uh, and then step two and have a little chat about it. Um, but also, I would like to share a funny little story about uh, how nature is nurture. And uh, do you, would you like to hear that at the beginning mm. or at the end? Sure. Well, okay. Um, let's start it. Let's start with it. Yeah, let's start. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, for me, um, for me, science is a sickness and nature is a cure. Nature is nurture. And this is a classic example from my own life. You know, you know, I don't own a pair of shoes, and I live as close to nature as I can. Um, <laughs> but about ten days ago, <laughs> I got a bite from nature. Um, I got a, a tick bite on the inner thigh of my left leg. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm so, and I didn't notice it. I, I just thought it was a a skin tag, you know. Um, anyway, um, I pulled it out, and then my leg uh, went really crimson purple, you know, from sort of groin to knee. Wow, you know, this is pretty serious. And um, But it wasn't itching or anything, um, so I just let it go, let it go, let it go. And then um, after about four or five days, it was so horrific, I took myself to the hospital. And this was my Sunday at about 7 a.m. And a great little hospital, you know, went straight in, saw the triage nurse. Um, she looked at the problem because um, fluids were building up in various parts of my body. Um, and I don't you know, anyway. So I saw the doctor, a GP, and and then he got his uh, his boss in to have a look as well. And so that, to cut a long story short, <coughs> I left there with a handful of prescriptions for two lots of antibiotics and some antifungal cream. Um, because I've always I've also been um, fighting um, or trying to heal uh, what we we call here in Australia jock itch, you know, which is a fungal infection. 
Anyway, so I'm driving home. Yeah. I'm driving home thinking about this because I don't like Big Farmer at all. And I just thought, I asked myself this question, Bob, and it goes back to let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. So I asked myself this question, now what have I changed in my diet recently that may have caused this? And so it was probably about three or four weeks ago, I got I got into eating yogurt. And I thought, yeah, no, this is pretty healthy, you know. And also, instead of eating bags of crisps or chips or whatever you want to call them, and um, so I, I, would, I was eating a pot of yogurt every day and also um, a bag of grapes. And, and I thought, well, this is, the timing's just about right. You know, so I did some research on this yogurt and it's got about 15 grams per 100 grams of sugars in it. So I looked up, you know, what feeds these sort of infections and it's sugars and carbohydrates. So when I, when I got, yeah, so I, I went to the chemist and, you know, spent me 30 bucks on these um, prescriptions. But then the only, the only one I've used actually is the, the cream. But so I, I ditched the yogurt, I ditched the grapes. And I went back to my strict carnivore diet. And in three days, well, in a day, all the fluid that had built up um, had disappeared. And the the color of the rash from the bite had uh, really, really faded. And now I'm five days down the track. And it's it's just it's just amazing. It just reinforced... I had forgotten my own mantra, you know, that nature is nurture. <laughs> and I dropped back into believing big farmers here. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to help me. So that was just a classic example. Of, um, so does anybody want um, uh, a load of uh, antibiotics? Because I... <laughs> <laughs> I've got some despair. You know, (laughs) that is, I I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. I, um, I know a few years ago, I, well, it was a mosquito bite. We don't have as many ticks. We have ticks out here, but I think they're out in the mountains more. And I'm more in the city. I'm kind of in the foothills actually. But, um, I got a mosquito bite and it kept like getting worse and worse like welling up and and getting red and then all of a sudden it kind of started to go down but then my legs hurt like crazy like you couldn't even hardly touch it and I went into I went to the emergency room too because I went I'd gone to my grandson's soccer game or something and I could barely walk and so I went in and they did you know, some blood tests and stuff, and they were like, nope, we don't see anything wrong. Well, it kept pretty, really, really bad. Over and That was like on a Saturday. I went to the emergency room, and so by Monday, I was like, um, I'm going to go see my doctor. And it, it had already started a real bad infection like that. 
um, they they gave me antibiotics because I probably do more of that than I do the nature, which I shouldn't. Do. So I know I'd like to work on that, Bob. But um, <laughs> but I I had to I was getting ready to go do a um, a speaking presentation at for my national association of adult survivors. Um, no, not that, not this one. I'm sorry, but darkness to light. <laughs> but for darkness to light, I was speaking at their national conference. That's what I'm trying to say. And um, I had to, I had to take crutches with me to Chicago, wobble around the airport. I finally did get help though because I, I didn't wobble too far. But, but yeah, those. I mean, it's amazing to me that. Like you, what happened to you that that can happen just from a little tick or from a little mosquito? And I think that it just goes to show us also that I think that the things that are flying around these days are a lot more poisonous, I guess you could say, than they used to be, I, I think, you know, like the Zika virus and, and all that that you can get with. You know, do you guys have that well, over there? Well, mosquitoes. Here, here in Australia, our mozzies ride around on trail bikes. They're huge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're but, from purple lard but, there. Huh? <laughs> I say that about but, the south. But another example of how nature is nurturing my life is um, in 2005, I, I was spent a lot of time working on tall ships, you know, so I'm barefoot on the boat and was putting my shoes back on um, when I came ashore. But, um, and up until that time, I used to catch whatever bug was going around, whether whether it was mad cow disease or, you know, colds and flus or what, you know, I just used to, it's my magnetic personality I used to attract all these. <laughs> it all, attracts you. <laughs> yeah, but, in 2005, I decided to go totally barefoot. So I do not own a pair of shoes. And I've gone barefoot since that time. And you know what? Since that time, I have not, not even had a sniffle. Oh. I haven't. Just by connecting wow. back to the earth and the earth energy. And I yeah. know I'm still putting toxins in my body but while I was wearing shoes and they, they've all got sort of rubber or insulating soles um, the only way those toxins would come out uh, show themselves is in you know illness but since I've gone barefoot yeah. all these toxins drain out as I walk this land barefoot but anyway shall we get into um, wow I so let's steps. see if Penelope. Can we see if Penelope yeah. has anything okay. to say about that, real quick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's on. With Thank you. Um, well, thanks for sharing, you know, your your story, Bob, and some of your comments too, Kim, because it prompted me to, you know, really remember in terms of just my own healing that I don't have a specific story, but that sometimes if life gets um, unpredictable. And I'm, or faced with something that's very, very stressful or even a trauma, that I tend to freeze 
which is an old pattern from childhood, living in, yes. you know, unpredictable circumstances or situations, and I don't pay attention, yeah. you know. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that, that I talk about, one of the things I teach in my practices is mindfulness and meditation, which is really an opportunity just to stop and really focus in on what's going on right now. And so I think, Bob, you know, when you said you noticed or Kim, you said you know, I mean, we have to remember, to me it's daily, I have to remember to stop and focus no matter how many, you know, currents are flowing, you know, um, sometimes everything's smooth and smooth sailing, but sometimes things are very, um, there's a strong current. Um, and so I have to remember not to be managed by those and to just pay attention. So it's not really a specific antidote, but just more of a general comment, because I think, you know, a lot about what we're talking about is noticing. Um, and going back to some of the things that have served us before. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, for me, as master and commander of this life that I do create and I take full responsibility for, every event that happens in my life holds a lesson for me. And all I've got to do is listen to me. <laughs> and denial is not a big river in Africa. <laughs> Oh, that's cute, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Those are both cute. I should write them down so I remember them. <laughs> no, thanks for sharing that, Penelope. But I think the other point also that I wanted to make, and, and just to your point too, Penelope, is that I do eat sugar. I'm, I'm a sugar person. So I like sugar, too. So that was a, kind of an aha moment, Bob, when you were talking about you know, all of the toxins and stuff that I put in my body and that it feeds on the sugars. And I've heard that about cancer, too, that that feeds on kind of the, the glucose in your body the sugars and well, stuff. So. Yeah. What I've discovered about um, cancer, because both of my parents were taken by cancer, is that for me it all comes down to a dis-ease of the soul but there are so many natural remedies to cancer the um, the standard um, American diet the sad diet um, makes the body acidic which is an environment that wow. cancers living and so wow. going back to a natural a natural diet um, and making the body alkaline, no no cancer can thrive in an alkaline environment. Just wondering, has Philip got anything to say? Yeah, let's ask Philip. Let's bring him on. He hasn't he hasn't been on with us well, yet. So we're bringing you on, Philip. Hello, guys. Was it a diet diet that you were talking about? Oh yeah, Philip, the the carnivore diet, and um, I would. I don't give advice, but I love this guy, um, Dr. Ken Berry. And, yeah, he's just um, an amazing, wholesome, loving, warm-centered MD. And uh, he's got loads of info on the carnivore diet. 
Um, so. I've been watching my sugar lately, and I've been drinking a lot of water and milk. Good. Yeah, and the water especially. That's what I'm always pushing on my grandkids. Drink water, drink water. Yeah. What I've noticed about um, water is, you know, going back a couple of hundred years, and the rain would fall on the mountains and run down the stream and pick up lovely minerals and energy from the earth. And... But no, spring water, it was beautiful, it was uncontaminated, but now even our rain contains plastic microparticles and fluoride and all sorts of contaminants. So um, I, would, I would push to finding a, find a way to drink what they call living water. But enough of that, if you would like, I would like to go to step one of my 10-step program, if you like. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, let's go ahead and start. <laughs> okay, well, step thanks, number Phil. one. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Um, number one was healing the wounds of my childhood. Now, I had a very violent um, childhood, but as a child, I didn't know. I just thought this was normal, you know, and, and every other child went through the same sort of experience and unfortunately that thought was valid because the more people I connect with um, I reckon in Western society very few children were left unscathed by their childhood but for me healing the wounds of my childhood was the most powerful work I've ever done now I knew I couldn't change my past but I had a feeling that I could go back and heal it and synchronicity <laughs> Synchronistically, I came across the work of John Bradshaw in the early 90s on healing the shame that binds you and the inner child stuff. And so, my partner and I at the time, we bought all these VHS tapes and we used to play them two or three times a week for our friends because we were running a sort of bit of a spiritual retreat which is not bad for a fair turner, eh? <laughs> and after, after a while, you know, um, John's presentations, I was word perfect on them. You know, I really, really sort of soaked them up. But the core of it was um, just going back to my childhood, going back to my childhood and just remembering all the times that I was terrified, all the times that I was hurt. And around about 92, I got to this space where, God, I hate you, Mum. You're always beating me. Why are you doing that? But you've got to love you, Mum. You've only got one Mum. And it was that dichotomy that was tearing my soul apart. So how did I move through this? Well, I sat down and wrote a letter to Mum. Dear Mum, your loving son, Bobby. I'm just writing this letter to tell you how I felt as a child growing up in our family. This is not about blame. I'm just telling you my story. So I started. I got the notepad out and I started writing. Um, I had it when you dangled me by the wrist and hit me with the 
frying pan. I hated it when you threw the rolling pin at me. Oh, I was still gonna, you know. And what I thought was going to be one or two pages ended up like being really about an inch thick of all the wounds that I could recall. And, uh, and once I'd written it all down, that was quite uh, releasing. But I signed off. Mum, please tell me your story, your loving son, Bobby. And then, and this is one of the hardest things I ever did. I went down to the post office and I posted it to her. You know, I'm in Australia, she's in England. So eventually I got a letter back from Mum saying, Oh, Bobby, Bobby, you must think I'm the best mother in the whole world. But I was only doing my very best. And I wrote back, Mum, this is not about blame. Tell me your story. So eventually she wrote back and told me about her childhood. She was born in 1924 in Germany between the wars. Her dad was an alcoholic. Her mum was a control freak. Her cousins were in the SS, so they were shot. And she basically, she had a shit childhood too. And that was so liberating because there was I sitting in this state of anger and hatred. But by her sharing her story and me understanding, I came to the realisation that, yeah, mum was doing her very, very best. But all that she could do was dump on me what got dumped on her. So by exchanging, sending her my letter, I'd actually broken the multi-generational cycle of abuse. And so after I got a letter, a couple of days later, I phoned her in the UK and she was back in hospital with a bout of cancer. And that's the first time we spoke as mother and son. And we were both bawling our eyes out and... No, but they were joyous tears. Ah, and then three days later, she died. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful closure. And then it was like somebody had taken an elephant off my shoulders. Ah, wow. But hey, hang on. What's, what's this niggle in my shoulder here? What's this? Still got a little niggle here. What's that? Right, Dad, you bastard. So <laughs> I got the notepad out and wrote a similar letter to Dad, because he was never there. He was just working all the time. He was living his programming. He was doing what Dads were supposed to do then, which is bring home the bacon. But he died, and I I didn't know where, and I had, had a, sort of an idea when, but I wrote the letter. Um, anyway, and just put it in an envelope to Dad in heaven and burnt it. And that, in that way, I healed the wounds of my childhood. And my healing was not complete until I was able to forgive my two primary abusers. So um, that's, that's, and you know, I cannot recommend this work enough because for me it's fundamental. But yeah, um, Let's have a chat about that one. Step one. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for sharing that. Just your vulnerability. I really appreciate it. Anyway, and I know the rest of us do, the rest of the listeners, because there's so many people that, there's so many men that need to hear from other men, specifically. I mean, I think that that's so empowering to hear you say, that you beat those demons 
because like you said, there are so many people out there. I mean, like my statistics that I tell everybody, you know, one in three girls and one in five boys. So that's, I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of people out there that are suffering and your story helps a lot. So thank you. Thank you for being one of those boys. Shall we go to Penelope and see what Penelope has to say? Thank you, Kim, and, you know, thank you, Bob, for, um, you know, your that step and what you disclosed. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I, too, believe, and I did also go through the exercise of writing a letter to each one of my parents, my primary abusers, and the letters were started when they were still alive and they were prompted by my psychologist, um, who's a trauma-informed um, psychologist, um, to actually name um, the abuse and to write it down um, because you have to, A, get it out and speak of it and to bring it out from within. Um, and the second part of the benefit of writing it out and putting it on paper it becomes real um, in terms of the documents. When I say it's real, it becomes a tangible piece of um, uh, something that can be um, tangibly passed on to someone else. So it's tangible. Um, and um, it was also to give someone a letter. So in this letter, I it was um, formatted where I wrote like two suitcases from things from my childhood, things that were great, things that were not. And I was going to keep the great stuff in the, and put all the great stuff in one suitcase and keep it with me, and I was going to put all the other bad stuff in another suitcase and give it back to them. So in terms of reading the letter and sending the letter and giving them the letter, it was you know, a way to you know, release and give back what I was carrying. The children carry the blame, I think, the, the blame of the abuse. We carry... Uh, the act, um, and it was a way to give it back to the person that really should own it. And so for me, I did that, and I did that, um, and um, I, I too felt the relief that you did because I didn't realize the weight of the burden I've been carrying, of carrying really the, the blame and responsibility for what had happened to me as a very young child and for decades, I mean, went on for a very long time. Um, and until I didn't, I, I didn't, I couldn't have known the weight of that burden had I not written it out and given it back and released it. So um, I totally can resonate with what you said. For me, that step um, was profoundly um, freeing and a, and a huge leap in my own, own recovery. After I did that, there was no going back. And so thank you for sharing, and I, I had a similar experience. Well, it's um, a little caveat in my um, letter, sending the letter to mum. About three years down the track, I contacted my mum, who died, um, through a spiritual medium. And this lady was telling me stuff that only mum and I would know. So I knew this uh, medium was fair dinkum. And the message I got from mum was Bobby, 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 thank you so much 
for sending that letter because I am now doing the same work with my parents in the beyond. And that blew me away. Wow. Oh wow! Yeah. I'm. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That dichotomy is tearing my soul apart too. Like sometimes my mom is the nicest person in the world, and everybody says that she's like a perfect little angel. You said that she's. People say she's what? We didn't hear quite well, that last part. I just, and everybody just says she's the perfect angel. Oh. It's, so, yeah, you, she's not. She, she just treats you and abuses you, but everybody thinks that she's an angel for the outside world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's really hard because they put on this really good math. I mean, that's probably how she's learned to hide. And I think um, I mean, you don't talk a whole lot about, about them specifically, but from some of the things you've told me about mom, it reminds me a lot of my husband. And I think that they're, you know, we can say that we need to forgive or whatever, you know, and, and we do, I think eventually everybody needs to, to get that off their chest. But I'm not going to tell people when they have to, because I think that's going to be different for everybody. And everybody needs to process it differently, too. I know that I never really got that closure with my mom, but I'm working on it more now than I ever was, than I ever did when she, um, when she first died or when she was alive, so um, I think it all comes. It's hard. It is hard when you, because I, I, and the reason why I say your mom reminds me of Andy is because because the outside world doesn't see what happens on the inside, and they're so good at hiding it. I mean, it's probably come from her parents. You know, her parents were probably good at hiding and masking the fact that. They weren't healthy. I mean, I don't know. You probably know your grandparents. I do, but I know that that's my grandparents' story for sure. So, you know, it's you hard. Know, you can't turn? say you have to forget. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry, I just wanted to. Re- <laughs> I did want to respond to Philip as well. I'm sorry, I did not mean to interject um, from you. But Philip, I just wanted to say I'm that I can totally relate to what you're saying exactly. Like I'm nodding my head as you're saying that because. For two reasons. One, I mean, in terms of my parents, I mean, they were, you know, pillars of society. Um, and, you know, they, no one would believe, right, the truth of, you know, what had actually happened. And so I think as a child and even, you know, our inner child, even as we're adults, I mean, it's hard enough for us to admit to ourselves the truth about the child abuse, the sexual child abuse, at least for me. And that was excruciating. So, you know, for me to actually do the work and actually admit the truth to myself was hard. But then, you know, you have society at large that has this opinion that your your truth 
your truth, your hard-fought, you know, truth, you know, is going to not be credible. And that is, that is really, really difficult because we know it's true. And by the way, as Kim said, one in three girls and one in five boys by the age of 18 are going to be sexually abused. Well, who do they think is doing all this? I mean, it happens. And it happens across, you know, all different, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. No one is immune. You know, no, no culture, no, no, no region. I mean, and unfortunately, abuse is an equal opportunity event. And um, so I think, you know, I wish and I hope with the work that we're all doing, that people understand that this is not a, a uh, abuse. In fact, this isn't, you know, happening in those other neighborhoods to those other people. It happens everywhere. And, you know, your mother, I think you're referencing, even though no one would ever believe it, we have to get over that because um, that is part of the problem. So I, I, I just wanted to say I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, I would like to respond to that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. for me, um, several things were prompted by you know, the last few minutes, is that the child that's being abused does not stop loving its abusers, it stops loving itself. And for me, um, the most prolific form of abuse is abandonment. And I'll explain that. And it can be abandonment, like uh, a mum puts a baby up for adoption, or... Um, parents are not there for you you know I grew up in the era where it was um, spare the rod spoil the child I think mum was trying to beat me into wellness <laughs> or or uh, children should be seen and not heard so there is that abandonment and how I can explain it is um, when a child is born there is a soul connection of trust between the mother and the child. And so, through abandonment, that trust is broken, and that, for me, is one of the biggest wounds. And I cannot imagine, from what I see in Western society, where abandonment has not happened for any child in Western society. But um, looking at the time, I'd... Um, I'd like to um, go on to the, the next step, step two, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and let's, let's have some fun. Um, anybody, uh, anybody want a cup of coffee? Right. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, step two was deprogram myself from codependent behavior. Ah, and for me, political correctness is the epitome of codependent behavior and the absolute antithesis of free speech. For me, we are all sue, we're all sovereign, unique, and equal. Um, but there was one little phrase when I was doing that work 
um, of deprogramming myself from codependent behavior um, was unsolicited advice is abuse. And for me, going back to, you know, we're all sovereign, unique, and equal. Everybody's on their own hero's journey. Um, but in my journey, when I was struggling the most, I'm surrounded by all these rescuers, you know, they seem to be drawn in. Um, oh, I, need, I know what you need to do, mate, you know, and I said, whoa, 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 brother, you know, hold up there. Um, I'm here to live my life my way, not your way. If you want to be a true friend, be around when I put my hand up and ask for help. <clears throat> so deprogramming myself from codependent behavior was a, it's, it's taken a long time because it's so, it's so insidious in our culture. But on the other side of it, you know, now, because I just follow the one law, which is do no harm, and I've only got one right, and that's the right of self-determination, I just speak my truth in the moment. So all I am doing is sharing data. How, you, how anybody responds to that is their responsibility. So that's, that's, that, that was a, a really, really um, liberating exercise for me. Anybody got any comments? Yeah, that's, that's so good. I was, I was sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to mute myself so that I don't distract, uh, yeah, distract you, you too much. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm working on that. It's taken me a long time. I've been one of those slow learners. But um, I've noticed, too, that I have a hard time getting my feelings out to So I think the whole writing it down, I do sometimes, but I don't read it. Um, but I'm doing, have, did I, I don't know if you were on when we had the lady that does the gestalt um, equine therapy lessons. That is really good. That's, that's what I'm starting to do. If I have my second session tomorrow, but that they really are working more with just trying to get all of that out and then recognize that you have a voice because that's what a lot of us have been silent. You know, we've all been silent throughout our life, so we do have a voice. And I still struggle with that. How about how about you guys? What do you think? Well, um, Bob, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that in terms of what you said about um, also a child and their connection to self-love and self-respect, and I think that self-blame and, and lack of self-love are, must be related or cousins in some way. Um, in my experience, they just went hand in hand. Um, I, I think if, if my self-blame was self-hatred, you know, I hated myself and I blamed myself for the things that happened. Um, these things started happening the minute I was born. And now logically we know as adults, of course, like an infant, a toddler is not responsible for the behavior, conduct, actions of, a, of anyone else. 
But um, if you blame yourself, if you hate yourself, it's really hard to love yourself. So I do think, you know, for me, and I think in terms of healing, it's something that I had to learn what that was, self-love was, and I had to um, learn how to nurture and love myself, too. And it sounded, I felt almost um, like it felt, sounded indulgent at first um, until I realized how important it was. Because um, I can't really be the best friend, mother, brother, I mean, sister, daughter, you know, wife um, um, to my family if I'm, you know, if I haven't made peace with myself and if I don't love myself. So thank you for that. I think I read that resonated with me. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what was that last part? You yeah, you're resonating. What? You haven't loved yourself? Well, I can't be, I can't be a good employee, a good friend, a good sister, a good mother, a good wife, you know, um, a good daughter. Um, if if I can't be the best version of all those things if I don't love myself, you know, um, it, because that's, that's self-respect, that's, you know, how I treat myself. Um, so that's, that's what I meant is that I was ever better to be, I was able to be, um, more present, you know, um, more authentic, um, more empath- more empathetic, um, more attuned, um, um, but less of a rescuer. The more um, the more I became um, aware of the fact that I needed to love myself. Um, sometimes rescuing someone else and being someone else's rescuer is, is not a self-loving. That takes a toll. So even something, you know. Um, like that, you know, I had to realize I had to come back to, um, I had to love myself enough to know to draw it, to have boundaries. To me, that was part of the self-love, is, is boundaries are loving. And I had, so those those were connected for me as well. Does that make sense, Philip? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, connecting those boundaries and speaking up for yourself. I mean, I think that's not easy for anyone. Yeah, well, bearing that in mind, um, that was step two. I'd like to um, skip to step six, and then we go back for three, four, and five after that. Um, And step six was um, reclaim my belief in me. Now, when did I when did I first lose my belief in myself? And again, this is the benefit of doing the inner child work and going back there. And my earliest recollection was I was about four and a half years old. It was a Sunday morning. I bounced out of bed, brushed my hair and combed my teeth and put on my red T-shirt, bounced down and breakfast, sat down at the table and mum said, Bobby, go up and put your blue T-shirt on. You know you love your blue T-shirt. And I thought, well, no, I don't. I love my red (laughs) T-shirt. But mum must be right, because she's mum, and she's very violent, and she's very angry, and she's about 80 foot tall. So I went up, and I put my blue T-shirt on, and that is the first 
recollection I have in no longer believing in me and believing that other people authority figures knew what was best for me <clears throat> and that became my modus operandi for about oh probably 50 years you know I believe the doctors when they said you've got chronic depression you need to take these drugs I believe the teachers you know <laughs> it was a nightmare but it was about 2000 let's say that's 2008 and I was living on my boat in Pioneer Bay <coughs> it's about 7.30 at night which is dark up here in the tropics and I was sitting down below with my dog Barnaby on Facebook and I was actually on my dog's Facebook page because <laughs> I always got a giggle and all of a sudden the lights went dim so I peered over at the voltmeter, no, 12 and a half volts, that's okay. And I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. You know, it's like, there's no pain. You know, I haven't got a pain in the chest or a pain in the right arm, or, you know. Um, and just off to the left of my vision, like you see in the movies, there was this black, wispy, silky presence just hovering, just just on the limit of my vision uh, and I thought oh no hello old friend I thought, you know, I thought it was all over Red Rover the Grim Reaper had come to get me you know the angel of death so I just typed into um, Barnaby's Facebook page hey guys if you don't hear anything from me in the next 20 minutes can you please call volunteer marine rescue to come out and get Barnaby because I thought I was going to die you know with this this presence next to me and I'm still not breathing and I don't know about you folks if you've experienced any sort of near death experiences time becomes irrelevant so I'm sitting there instead of panicking I could have typed in hey send the, amb the ambulance guys out you know they could have an arm take or whatever um, but I just sat centered and let my body do what it needed to do. So I'm sitting on my boat down below in the tropics. I'm naked, probably too much information. But you live on a boat in the tropics. <laughs> and so <coughs> I walked up onto the deck and I looked up the sky and there were two full moons. And then I'm, my boat's in a bay surrounded by mangrove trees where crocodiles live. Um, and it's after dark when crocodiles and sharks feed. Bugger the sharks. So I just leapt into the bay and I still haven't taken a breath. And I floated up and spread out like a great big starfish. And all of a sudden my body just went, <laughs> and I was, it didn't cough then but uh, <laughs> but um, 
I started breathing again. And that was the night that I bet my life on trusting my inner tuition, my intuition, my gut instinct. And that was my rite of passage. Hello, folks. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you were done yet. Um, yeah, right. thank you. Just, just so you know, also, I just want to um, let you know that in the past, I know that it's, you know, it just comes out because you're telling your story, and we love your, you know, and I appreciate you telling the story. Just maybe keep the naked part out. So that, sometimes that's triggering to people. Just hey, in well, general, God, God. I don't, you know, you just never know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, God created me naked. I was born naked, and I'll die naked. Well, He did. You oh. <laughs> <He> sure <laughs> did. Uh, I, be- I know, I'm, but you know, we just try and be respectful. Uh, that's all of everybody, because there are a lot of triggers, and we don't know. Who that is? Well, but, um, can I respond yeah. to trigger? Yeah, I'd love. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love love to respond to that word triggers because that goes back to codependent behaviour. Yeah. For me, once yeah. upon a time, I too had triggers until I realised that oh. those triggers were just showing me the areas where I needed to do more work. Yeah, absolutely, mm. and I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I think yeah, I've so a lot of triggers that I need to work on. <laughs> and so now I simply share my story, share my truth in the moment. And how people respond to that, well, that's their responsibility. And I love this line wow. from Shakespeare. It's, um, the greatest love I can give to anyone is to simply share my own truth. You know, Bob, it's it's Penelope, and I totally hear what you're saying. I completely hear what you're saying. And triggers are, you know, obviously um, a um, an issue that you know we've dealt with in the past or we deal with in the present. And what I'll say is, triggers can be worked on if you can understand why you're being triggered. But for someone like me, who had nocturnal visits um, from um, my perpetrator, when I was sexually abused, so I was asleep. I have bodily triggers, but I don't know where they come from. And I just struggle with how to control them. So when you're not awake and something happens to you, you know, your mind may not know, but your body doesn't forget. So I always like to challenge a little bit on triggers because I don't think they're equal opportunities. Just my perspective. Well, that's, that's a beautiful statement because you just nailed it there. Because for me, where I am now, the, the, the guiding beacon in my life is my body. Whatever happens to my body, my body remembers. And my body is always sending me messages. And so the best thing that I, I do now is just listen to my body and obey. Because my body always knows what it needs to do to heal. Yeah, and I think that's a great, yeah, that's what, that was deep. That, that was good. No, and I think that it would be very, very helpful in the world, wherever people are, 
that if we could get to that point, I mean, I think that a lot of times, and especially a lot of people that are probably in this, in NASCA themselves and kind of part of the group, um, are, are working on I mean, we're all working on trying to figure out what brings us peace. And so I think that even hearing you and your story and how you talk about things is very encouraging to some people. But, um, and it's encouraging to me too, because I know that that's where I'm at. But it took me 48, you know, 50 years to get there. So that's, unfortunately, that's where I was at. But I definitely appreciate you know, for sure that you share that stuff with us because I think that's important. I also think it was important that we kind of had that conversation on triggers because we don't talk about that a whole lot. We don't talk about triggers. And um, we've gotten both perspectives of, you know, a completely full-heeled human being that we're talking to, which is great to aspire for, um, and, you know, then the in-between and then also probably people that listen to it that just really aren't there and aren't ready to be able to process it. And so I I think we're having a great conversation. I like it when we start talking about Because yeah. <laughs> oh. I think it is. I think it's good. We need to. Go ahead. Well, Kim, it's, it's well. Penelope. I mean, I, I totally agree. I just, I just think, though, that, you know, we're all, as Bill um, Marie says, and I think he says this very, very well, you know, people are in different phases of their recovery in terms of, A, I don't think you're ever done. But, you know, um, some people are different. You know, we should not give ourselves um, a timer on, on addressing these things. We're all in different places, and everybody has right. a slightly different experience. And, you know, so one of the things that I found the most, helpful in my healing was really able to, to help me move forward was to realize that, um, you know, I had to be patient with myself and stop giving myself deadlines or expectations. You know, there are no expectations other than to keep, to keep um, in the process of recovery. And so I, I think that, um, you know, um, I learned so much from people like Bob that have, you know, been very successful in their healing journey and have all this to share. Um, but, um, you know, but I think it's a, sometimes it's, it's easy to go down the road. Well, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, don't compare, right? It's, it's because it's, I think that's a self, uh, um, deprecating, um, uh, it can be very self deprecating and harmful. Um, so I do, you know, I always tell myself, I haven't walked anybody else's shoes and, um, I shouldn't, you know, there shouldn't be comparison and there is no timer, you know, there is no timer. Um, so yeah. I just wanted to. Yes, precisely, darling. You've nailed it. It's, it's, how can it? It just goes back to the Sue principle for me. We're all sovereign, unique, and equal. And everybody's on their own hero's journey. So, this idea of co- comparison, that's just ego. Um, and the way I, I, I view my own healing journey, it, it is a journey. It's not a destination, you know. I, I, I can't envisage a state of being where I am totally healed, because if I reach that stage, growth stops. Yeah, and what we've just done 
is um, cover step seven, listen to and obey my body. And I would like to drop back to step four <coughs> because this was really uh, pivotal for me, um, if that's okay with you guys. And um, step four was question everything to establish my own truth. Again, this is, comes back to about 2005. I, I became a ship's captain and I realized that when I took a boat out, bugger Bob, the buck stops with you. You're responsible for the <coughs> lives of all these people on the boat and even the vibe. And it was a time of a really powerful transition because I realized that everything, how can I put it? As a baby, I was born, and I, I, I like the computer analogy. <coughs> I had my basic operate, operating system, which is I was a magical spiritual entity in this physical body, and the world was magical, and I'd totter around. Oh, you know, enjoying the magic. But then the programming started. The programming started. And in about 2008, I just started questioning everything that I'd been programmed with since that time when I was, you know, a little tottering child. And I began to realize that just about everything I was told or taught by my parents, by my education or indoctrination system, by my social interactions, by mainstream media. They're all lies. All lies. And I was so damn angry that it taken me 50 odd years to realize that I'd been living in this pile of programs like Robert the Robot. And so at that time, I set my um, life purpose, because I'm creator of my life, I set my life purpose to be, to simply find my own truth. And how do I know what is my truth? Whatever resonates with my heart. And so since that time, I've just been questioning everything, everything that was in the programming suitcase. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, and just establishing my own truth. And it is, it, it is that simple. So now, you know, I'm quite happy. I just share my story. I share my truth. For me, all opinions are worthless, even this one. Because for me, all opinions are like hearsay evidence in court. They're invalid. The most valuable thing that I can share is my own personal life experience. That is my witnessed testimony. And it is inviolate. And everybody else has their own story, their own witnessed testimony, their life journey. 
And for me, there is no argument, because we're all sovereign, unique, and equal. <coughs> there is only, there's no argument, there's only difference. You know, your truth will be different than mine. Blah, blah, blah. And I expect that, because it is that difference that makes us all uniquely unique. So, instead of being, uh, that my, my truth is more true than your truth, you know, beating each other. And that's the trouble. Our whole society is set up uh, for us to all be in competition with each other. And, and for me, that's a, a spiritual failing. We're not here to be in competition with each other. We're here to cooperate with each other. We are here to lift each other. All else is... This phrase came to me the other day. And I still can't believe it. You know, it's, um, for me, there is an intentional program running in the background that is hell-bent on normalizing corruption. <coughs> oh, wow. That was deep. <laughs> Anybody got a good joke? <laughs> I have a joke. Did you hear about the man who had the hot air balloon business? No. Would you like to hear how his work was? Would you like to hear about his work? <laughs> yeah. What about his he work? had its ups and downs. <laughs> Cute. That's all Good I like that. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have anything to say about either what um, Bob was saying or what Philip said? <laughs> Any comments? Well, I think that um, laughter is definitely good medicine, so thank you for that, Philip. That's my comment. Oh, no problem. I told that joke to a lot of people. <laughs> Have you? You try and learn a new one every week so that you got something to change it up to? No, but that's a good idea. Yeah, go get a book or something. I, when my kids were little, I used to um, like put notes in their lunches, you know, and I um, found a couple times I found these like little cards that had like jokes on them or, um, yeah, just funny things and stuff. They really liked those. That was fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I know they've got all kinds of books that have jokes in them. You could probably find some really good ones in there, too. <laughs> Or probably online. I don't know why I say book, because I'm old-fashioned, I guess. But <laughs> probably just book online. What I would like to share is, this is probably the most profound um, conversation I've had in a very, very long time. And... Um, One of the most important steps that I took, and this is step five, and you can find all this stuff in my books anyway or on my YouTube channel. Step five was 
<coughs> take full responsibility for this life that I do create. And so in 2005, when I became a ship's captain, I took that ideology and applied it to my whole life. Yes, I am master and commander of this life that I do create, and I take full responsibility for it. And it was at that time that I set my um, my life purpose to be simply justify my own truth, which ties in with what we're talking. But also, as a spiritual being, have a, a physical experience. I ask myself this question: Okay, how do I want to experience this life? So I set my own conscious life intention which is, I am here to have a gentle, joyful, loving, healthy, and abundant life. And ever since I put that conscious life intention in place, that is precisely how my life is unfolding. The I am here is my command to the universe to deliver what follows. But it's also my address to the universe so it knows where to deliver what I've commanded. And so, <laughs> here I am living in paradise in my own Garden of Eden and the universe is doing all the hard work. And this all comes from step seven, listen to and obey my body, which we've already talked about. Step eight, follow my heart. And for me, my heart is my only compass and my inner tuition is my only guide, which covers step nine, trust my inner tuition. And this is my favorite step, step 10, never take myself too seriously. Wow, what a you gotta laugh at yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good one. Never take yourself seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that um, Phil has Phil likes to be on, likes to talk about this too, because he's done a lot of work in the twelve step program. So he's probably listening and shaking his head. <laughs> what were you going to say, Penelope? Were you going to say something? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was actually thinking something, so I must have been thinking so hard you heard me. But, you know, I try not to take life or myself too seriously. But, you know, having had three boys all year apart, so now in college, it's like I had to be the serious one because of the antics, right? So I found myself always being serious. So I'm trying to lighten up with it. So I agree. It's, it's 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 good not to take oneself too seriously. Yeah, well, the only one that takes you seriously is you, eh? <laughs> yeah, because our kids sure don't, do they, Penelope? <laughs> no, they don't. A lot no, of times our kids don't do that. They don't like to do that. But, uh, <laughs> no, I agree well, with that's... you. I think that that is probably my experience as well, as I was I was the one that was always with them. So I had to have to 
I also didn't want, because I felt like my mom shared too much. And so I was probably more careful than maybe I, I could have, you know, I could have maybe opened up more to them as they got older, older, but I just didn't want to burden them with anything. And so I wanted them to be all, you know, happy and healthy and not know about, you know, know as, as little about burdens as possible. And, and not that that's always good for children either. And I think that there are times that that shows too, because I um, well, yeah. all I can always say is on my ground. Go ahead. All, <laughs> I, all I can say is every step I've ever taken, however painful, has brought me here to contentment. When do you think you got to that point, Bob? When was that? How old were you when, when you, you got to that point? When I reclaimed my belief in me, so I had my first panic attack in 84, so I'd be 32 then. Um, uh, and I've got an amazing intellect. My IQ is 150, Einstein's 160, go figure. But I, I, I wasted over 20 years in the trap of the intellect trying to think my way out of depression. And it was only uh, when I had to silence my mind that I could actually start healing because listening to my mind and listening to my body, you know, that was the healing path for me. And it might be different for other people. <coughs> but... Um, how long have I That's been exactly. free? How long have I been free? Um, probably 2005 when I became a ship's captain and took total responsibility for this life I do create and realizing that every event that happens in my life, whether good or bad, holds a lesson for me. So it's 2005. What's that? 18 years now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Mm. I like it. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I was just, and I was thinking about that when you're talking about, um, you know, feeling with your heart and not your head. And that's exactly what the, the equine therapy is because the horses, you know, don't let you, they won't interact with you if you are thinking with your head. So the, the horse that chose, I guess she said that she chose me when she introduced me um, to work with me, wouldn't even follow me around. She's like, you know, I'll walk around the whole pen and say positive affirmations. And I have a hard time with that. I, I, I still do. I, I'm working on that. That's why I'm there. But she wouldn't, the horse wouldn't follow me around because it wasn't sincere. It wasn't from my heart. I wasn't saying the affirmations that I believed were me because I'm still struggling with that. But when I stood still and then just kind of started thinking and feeling with my heart more instead of trying to even say it out loud, then the horse came up beside me and kind of nudged me 
and then my therapist said something and I, it kind of, it must have made me think with my head again, and then she walked away. So it's interesting. I love that, that, um, that they can kind of pick that up for you and, and help guide you in that way, too. Just like nature, just like what you're talking about. You know. Yeah, well, it's Everything's funny. there for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. My dog just came up to me and um, kissed my wrist. And what I value about um, Skipper and any dog I've had, if if my life ever gets complicated, it's because my mind has jumped back in the driving seat. And what I love about having a dog in my life is they are always, always totally in the moment. Yeah, it's like horses. I think that's why, they, um, you know, animals are such good things to have around with, especially when you are dealing with PTSD and things like that. They really do help absorb some of that and make you just so, start to let go. So, so why do we call them dumb? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. They're pretty smart, really, yeah. <laughs> They've got it nailed. And especially, well, you know, cats are a little bit more confident about what they're doing. Dogs, they want you to, <laughs> they're a lot like us. They they want approval. You know, they want to just be loved and do whatever makes them happy. So I think that's kind of funny to see that difference. But what do you have to say about that? Penelope or Philip, is that anything to say? Well, sometimes my dog um, don't take a, Sometimes, like, one of my dogs is kind of, kind of like, for the first time in a while, for the first time that anybody's ever came up to me and wanted to cuddle, so that was kind of nice. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> and they know. I mean, they sense it. It's just like they know and you're afraid of them. You know, they sense all of that. Yeah, so I, I yeah I I think well I mean I I have two cats and and I just I have a one of them is just you know follows me around and she is my shadow and there she is, she has been with me for some rough times so I think I think just to to have that love right um, is incredible so um, she's I don't know yeah she's 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 thinks she's a person so I can't even call her an animal. And Bob, I didn't know your dog had its own Facebook page. You should tell us what it is. It was at the very beginning. uh, (laughs) It was Barnaby it was Barnaby Eden, but um he 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 died um in and I had um, issues with Facebook where they wouldn't allow me to sign back in for some reason. So, um, yeah. But that was that was really good because people would st- post stuff on his page and I'd answer in dog speak. You know, it'd be either whoop or woof, woof, woof. <laughs> you know, so it was... Yeah, you, it, yeah, it was a running. Uh, oh, you're crazy. 
but I would like to thank somebody um, for allowing me this platform to share um, the tools that I've used. And all I, in the final analysis, because we're all sovereign, unique, and equal, all I have is my own story. And I'm trying to live a good one. And I believe that simply by sharing our own stories, we help to heal each other. And so um, for my 10-step my program, I will um, just copy that and paste it into the, the NASCAR group Facebook page. And now my body is in need of sustenance, so I'm going to go off and do something that is meditation for me. I love cooking. I love it. Oh. Well, you can so cook me you. something anytime. Just send it to Colorado. Come on down. Uh, <laughs> well, you, <laughs> well, you come to me and we go sailing around the Whitsunday Islands. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> there we yep. go. Well, thank, thank you, you so Bob. Much. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. You have a great evening. This has been awesome. Yeah. I, thank you. Thanks for keeping it going. <laughs> Have a good night. Or a good day. Yeah. Good day. Hey, good day, mate. No worries, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bob. Okay. See you, Phil. That's a good good day, Cam. I'm impressed. Yeah, I've been practicing when it comes on. <laughs> when I remember, you know, because it's starting to get dark here, so I always want right. to say goodnight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we had some really good conversations around those, those steps. Absolutely. So, I, was, I was glad that he shared with us and came on. He's always always got some good ideas. I'm hopeful that there were others that were streaming in that, you know, found that informative. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it is important. I know that the subject just in general of forgiveness is kind of a hot button. I mean, you know, as far as that goes, because everybody's in their own place. And so... That's true. It's hard to tell people. You can't tell people to forgive or to work on these steps because it takes them being in a place where they're ready. And I guess I wasn't even ready to start doing this even deeper work until now, but I always put my kids first and even my grandkids. That's just where my head always goes is to putting them, you know, I'd rather spend time with them than spend time in the therapy yeah. Share, but um, it's that's it's, why the the worst thing is that's what they call it work, right? I mean, it really is work. Yep. Worthwhile work. Yeah, but it's definitely it's definitely work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'm work. and I think there to some degree I probably miss animals too, but I don't necessarily want to take on that responsibility right now. But I've always, I always had cats too growing up and when my kids were growing up, I always had a cat. 
And she and my last cat was here when she when my mom died. I'm sorry, is that Philip? Are you trying to talk? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Penelope? Somebody? <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't. Oh, okay. I thought I Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought somebody was trying to say something. No, I was just gonna say I got my the last cat, um and her name was Noelle. And I got her right after my mom died at Christmas time because my mom died at the 13th of December. And then within two weeks, we had planned on getting another cat because we already had one and we wanted a friend for her. And I kept going back and forth, you know, because I was dealing with grief and everything. And I found that she was probably the most helpful in my grief, you know, just because they just help absorb some of that. Oh, yeah, they do. They do, absolutely. I can totally, I understand. I totally understand. But they, yeah, they are, cats are tough because they're not like dogs. I mean, dogs are, I think, just a little bit, if you are leaving them, you know, um, like on a trip, I think cats are a little harder sometimes. Um, um, they hold a grudge. <laughs> they hold a grudge. My neighbor, yeah. my neighbor leaves her cat outside sometimes because the cat goes off and wanders off. So sometimes mm-hmm. she just has to leave, yeah. so she leaves it outside. It's outside right now. Oh. <laughs> you help take care of it when she's gone. No. She come visit you. No. Oh. Um. <laughs> visit you. The cat was looking at my window, and sometimes, like, I'll put my hand against her window, and it'll rub its head against my hand. Aww. I call that O P E. You call that what? <laughs> OPC, other people's cats. And that's perfect because you get all the benefits, but not the responsibility. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I know, that's what I always say about my kids, too. You know, I'm like, they've all got dogs. Nicole has a cat. Brandy has three horses. So, you know, I can just go visit them. But it is sometimes just, I remember what I missed the most was her greeting me when I came home. I think that was what I missed the most, having that, that greeting. So, And then all my kids left, too, you know, so. I was really lonely. <laughs> Still climbing out of that. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Crazy. But do you have anything else you wanted to say, Philip, before we close out? Nothing but good night, and I hope to talk to you tomorrow. Well, thank you, Philip. You'll have a great night. Take okay. care. Bye, Jerome. <laughs> Penelope, you want to say anything? Great show, Pam. Close out. Um, yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, just a great show, and I, I'm, you know, I'm always appreciative when I, um, we can get these dialogues and and share our experiences, and sometimes have differences of opinion, and um, but I think you know, like the, um, hearing each other's testimonies and um, ups and downs and processes and healing modalities is just, I think it helps us all. So I, I do appreciate. The show we had tonight and show that you um, facilitated a great job, and as you always do, I learned a lot. So, thank you. I love doing this with you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
you're I love doing so we've got to talk soon. <laughs> and thank you, Mr. Bob Eden. We're glad that you were on with us tonight and just gave us some things to talk about. We needed some subjects to talk about. So we can always count on you. We appreciate that. So I guess we'll go ahead and close out the show for tonight. And um, I don't know who's on tomorrow but so let me be joining you tomorrow night. Whoever's on. <laughs> oh, I so think it's Dr. We, uh, Dr. Romo. He's very good, Dr. Heidi oh, Dr. Romo. Very, very good. Oh, yeah. So, um, very interactive. And he's, he's like, always learn something when he's on. Um, well, I when everybody's on, but he's, I really enjoy his, his trauma-informed trained approach. So if that's what you're looking for, I would say definitely to me tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Good. Well, yeah, thank you for... Bring that up. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. But um yeah. So thank you again everybody for being on. And um as we're as we always say on the show, or Miss Penelope started saying it, is that there are enough eyes and ears out in the world for all children to be safe. You know, to watch out for all children. So we've got to be able to stand up for their rights and for the things that they can't say. So if you see something, please say something. We keep our children safe. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. I'm not tomorrow, cause that's gone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.